So hey, uh, so today we're going to continue on last week's message. Last week was part one of questions about Christmas, and we answered this question. Uh, was the innkeeper and the hotel guest heartless? All right, we answered that question. Uh, number two, we answered, was the star a historical event? We answered that question last week. Today, I've got several questions. I don't think I'm going to have enough time to answer all these. Um, unless you wanted a two-hour sermon or maybe a three-hour, but I'm going to answer as many of these as I can. Here's what I hope to answer today. Is it wrong to say happy holidays? All right? I want to kind of look at that one a little bit. Next is, is it wrong to write Merry Xmas, right? To write it. Next, I want to answer the question, when was Jesus born? When was Jesus born? I mean, we'll settle it this morning. I mean, people have debated it for years, but I've got the exact answer, right? I mean, obviously, right? Uh, next, is Christmas Day, December the 25th, really just a cover for a pagan Roman festival, okay? If I can get those today, I think I'll be pretty happy. If, um, if we somehow have enough time, I'll go to the next one, which says, doesn't the Bible forbid Christmas trees from Jeremiah 10? Um, and then I have a couple more I know I'm not going to get to, um, was the first St. Nick a real person, and where did the wise men come from? So I'm going to shoot for the first four, and, um, and uh, that's kind of where we'll go here today. So um, Merry Christmas. Thank you for sharing this. I hope, um, here's my hope. I love the song that we sang, Come All You and Faithful. Um, and here's the thing you got to do when it comes to the Christmas season. Uh, Romans 14 applies where there are some conscience things that different Christians have about this holiday that we all must be sensitive to each other in this. Uh, but also, it's a great time to kind of explore. And, and here's where my soul is during for the Christmas season. Um, yeah, there are pagan trappings, potentially. We'll talk more about this. And it has definitely been overtaken by commercialism and a focus. It's, you know... Um, but here's what I do think that I see behind the scenes. I still see a come and see. I still see a come and believe. I still see a come, all you and faithful. Uh, hey, let me give you an example. Have you noticed every Christmas season how many Christmas movies are all about believe in Santa, believe in Santa, believe in Santa? Have you all not noticed? How many, I mean, it's all about, and, and I wonder to myself, why the fixation on believing in Santa? Why why does Hollywood even have this extreme fixation? I think there's something behind that is the idea of believe. Is that the, the soul of man, there is an idea of one must believe. One must believe. One, is, there something, is there something supernatural? And of course, what pagan man does is he tries to find flimsy and really silly replacements. But still you see something. So I would say this. I, I'm not a... Com- I'm not a complete sign off on everything regarding Christmas and just go, you know, with no conscience towards it. But I would say this. I do think there's something providentially in this season that 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 men are drawn to the Lord. And especially those um, who've been searching for something, they just might find it this Christmas. Right. So let's look at a couple things. Is it wrong to say happy holidays? Right now, for those of you that might be in the corporate world you, you probably know that you've maybe got a memo each season saying, do not say Merry Christmas, say Happy Holidays. Or if you're at Target or Walmart, you're going to hear a cash. Most of them say, you know, Happy Holidays. Uh, by the way, last year, um, what we do for Christmas typically is we'll go and do a trip instead of kind of your typical Christmas gifts. And so um, usually what we do is when we open up our presents, it's really 
the gift is we're going to unveil where we're going to like go as a family for some kind of family trip. We, we've kind of found for us as a family um, that, you know, you'll buy gifts, but then, you know, a week later, most of it's in the trash or you don't even know about it. So we try to do some family experience. Well, we went ahead and did our family experience for Christmas over the Thanksgiving break, right? So um, we didn't do it kind of traditionally like we do where we unveil where we're going to go, you know, the week after Christmas. Um, but I will say last year was kind of your typical year. And so we went down to Dollywood, right, uh, out in East uh, Tennessee. It was really interesting. I've been used to kind of hearing a lot of happy holidays, you know, at Target, Walmart, all this kind of stuff. But when we were at Dollywood... I never heard happy holidays. All I heard was Merry Christmas. I mean, everywhere out there, I was like, man, this, this is like a God-fearing kind of place. Um, no wonder everybody is moving to East Tennessee. I mean, it can't be that it's more pretty than Memphis. There's no way, right? <laughs> Memphis is much prettier, but, um, you know, much lower crime. I don't know. But we do hear happy holidays quite a bit, don't we? We hear that, and really there is a cultural bid to basically get rid of saying Merry Christmas with the idea of Happy Holidays. And your job is more than likely telling you, you can't say Merry Christmas. It could be offensive, right? Christianity, uh, uh, for some reason, Christianity is offensive. I still can't get it in my mind. Why would something that's such good news be such an offensive thing? But this is what men do because they love darkness rather than light. So you'll hear people, you'll hear this idea that many will say, Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Now, I want you to do this. We're going to turn to a different couple places. Go to Philippians 2, 3. And, and I would tell you this. I don't, think that, I don't think it's all that bad of a thing to say happy holidays. And here's the reason why. I don't think it's bad. Now, I like to say Merry Christmas if your job says, well, you got to say happy holidays. Um, I, still think you're, I still think you might be in line with something really great. And it could be a great witnessing opportunity. So here's the interesting thing. So Jesus is the perfect example of humility. The perfect example of being emptied of pride. Right? All sin actually has the root of pride. That's why we sin. Right? We exalt self. If you want to track it down to its basis root core, it's the exaltation of self. Right? Of course, by the way, that's what our culture is all about, exalting self. The scriptures do not exalt self, right? So just as a side note, if you think the greatest problem that man has is he doesn't have enough self-esteem, that is absolutely the wrong answer. Man has actually a little bit too much esteem in himself, right? He needs God-esteem. Look at Philippians 2, and I find this interesting. If you go to Philippians 2, and you bump down to verse 9. Now, before you get to verse 9, it's talking about the about the the humility of Jesus taking on the form of a servant born in likeness of men. He humbled himself in chapter 2, verse 8, by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you, you see that there's some predictive things that all will bow the knee at some point to Jesus, right? But yet we do see this thing where the name of Jesus is exalted. And no matter what you try to do to do away with it, you actually just end up turning things around on yourself. And I think the word happy holidays is one of those things. 
Happy holidays seems to be a thing that our culture has used to get away from saying Merry Christmas, Merry Christ Mass. Merry, basically, Christmas means Christ celebration. But when you actually look at the word happy holidays, let's break down the word holiday. You know what the word holiday actually means? Holy days. Happy holy days. I love when pagans think they've done something really cute but yet, in the end, it's just an end around back to the exalted one, right? I mean, our very system of dating is still based around the birth of Christ. Although secular culture has tried to stamp it out, we still see that there's a reason why everything revolves around Christ. Because God has highly exalted him. That he's the name above all names. Because of his ultimate humility, there's ultimate exaltation. And there's still more exaltation to come. But when you see this word, happy holidays, what people, whether they know it or not, are saying happy holy days. And I'll tell you this, there is something in my soul that can get with the idea if the motivation of my soul is happy holy days. In fact, when someone says to you, happy holidays, it's a great time. It's a great witnessing opportunity to say, really? Happy, happy, happy holidays. Well, what's so holy about it? Why, why is it such a happy holy time for you? I mean, that's actually a great segment to actually have a conversation because the meaning of happy holidays is actually happy holy days. It's actually a potential witnessing opportunity. So is it wrong for a Christian to say happy holidays? I would actually say if a Christian's conscience was doing it in line with the holiness of the incarnation, the holiness of God coming in human flesh, I can actually say with a clear conscience, you could say that. Then also I would say this, I, I don't think you have to brush off a pagan that, or anybody that says happy holidays and go, no, let me correct you, it's Merry Christmas. I think you can say, hey, actually, honestly, that, that word actually means happy holy days. Why is it, why are you telling, why are you wishing me happy holy days? What's holy about it for you? So I don't think it's actually necessarily a bad thing if the motive is right in the midst of it. I just love how the culture, by the way, I still can't get why the culture is so hostile towards Christianity. If we did a historical look, I mean, Christianity is not perfect, and there have been abuses within Christianity, but there's so many great things. Like, for instance, the hospitals we have, you can you can sign that over to Christianity. The outlawing of chattel slavery, Christians. Even this, here's how great Christians have contributed to culture, okay? Most of us have have some days off during the week, primarily, typically, right? Most people work Monday through Friday, right? Then we have the weekend, which is Saturday and Sunday, right? Well, you know, like with the, the Hebrews, with the Jews, you only got one day, right? You got Saturday. That was it. Then you went back to work on Sunday. But after the resurrection, Christians, uh, which many of them were Jewish, were worshiping on the first day of the week, Sunday, but they were still observing the Sabbath on Saturday. And before you know it, at some point, we start to see the culture grip on as Christianity grows uh, involving Jews and Gentiles that that many historians say there's a case to be made that we have the weekend actually as a result of Christians, right? Because there were very many, there were very many early Jewish Christians that were worshiping not only Saturday Sabbath observance, but then they were also worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week. And before you know it, we start to develop into this idea of a two-day rest. Now, if, the, if some of the historians are true and accurate on that, doesn't everybody have a lot of thankfulness for Christians, right? That you get a two-day holiday, a two days of rest. 
Two days to focus on the Lord. Which, by the way, just another thought. Um, how great is the Lord in his providence that uh, culture would be built out um, to not only give us one day of rest, but honestly, you kind of get two days of rest on average. Are you all tracking with me? This idea, how much more opportunity is there for growth and love in Christ? So a lot of us may have really demanding jobs where you're up early, you're up late, and you're going and you're going, and it's hard to really focus on Christ. But I tell you, man, we, we are living in some blessed times that the average person does still have a weekend. And what a great time to have a, a time of rest and renewal in Christ for the whole weekend. So is it wrong to say happy holidays? I wouldn't say that it is necessarily wrong if the heart is right behind it. And you could actually use this as a witnessing opportunity. But I will tell you, yes, some are using it in a way that has nothing to do with honor Christ. But I love how culture folds in on itself because Christ is exalted as a result of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Here's another question. Is it wrong to write Mary Xmas? Mary Xmas. Now, you've seen this sometimes, Mary Xmas, right? You've seen this on cards. You've seen this written. You've seen this on advertisements. And I will tell you this. Some people actually write that because they are motivated to remove the Christ of Christmas, right? You have Christ, then Mass. It means Christ celebration. Yes, some write that with the motivation of removing Christ from Christmas. But also, I can tell you that some who actually write Xmas, it's actually not a pagan thing. In fact, there's, there's some evidence that Christians did this because in some of the early Christian writings, the name Christ was written so much at times to conserve ink, it would just, they would just use the abbreviation, which is the Greek, which is the Greek letter that Christ starts, right? So Christ in the Greek, Christos, starts with chai, which is an X in the Greek alphabet, right? Um, is a chai, right? Is an X. And so when you spell Christ in Greek, you start with chai, which is an X, right? That's how it starts. And so some early Christians would actually abbreviate to save, you know, if you're writing a paper and you're going to use something repetitive, many times you can abbreviate whatever you're going to repetitively write. You understand what I'm kind of tracking with? And so actually there's some evidence that the idea of Christ being written with an X is not an abnormal thing. Now, listen, some pagans have grabbed that and tried to find it as a way to basically co-opt the Christ of Christmas. But once again, I love Jesus is exalted and the name of Jesus is exalted as a result of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. God's promise, right? Jesus' promise is if you exalt yourself, he'll humble you. But if you are humble yourself, what will God do? Exalt, and there's no bigger exaltation. There's no bigger humility than the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for our sin, and no greater exaltation than the name of Jesus. That it's interesting. Even a pagan culture that tries to think like, aha, let's take the Christ out of Christmas, actually in the end is just abbreviating Jesus, right? So, um, is it wrong to write Xmas? No, not necessarily. Now, if your motivation is to remove Christ out of Christmas, then yes, it's a bad motivation. If it's in, in a way to abbreviate, um, you know, maybe you've noticed that the price of ink has gone up, right? And you're printing out your papers and you want to just put an X instead of Xmas because maybe you just need to save that ink. Um, then, you know, by all means, you know, or maybe your dumb computer is doing another update and um, you can't spell, you can't hit the H R I S T. 
but you can just hit the X. Then go for it, my friend. Now, what's interesting is they would never say Xmas, right? So even Christians who would write Xmas when they, it came time to actually say it would not say Xmas. They would always say Christmas, Christ Mass. So I would encourage Christians, you can write Xmas and, um, it can be an abbreviation. We'd always want to say Christmas, but we couldn't absolutely forbid. Now, once again, what's interesting about Christmas time is it's a wonderful time to look back. And we're not going to do it this morning, but on your own study is look back to Romans 14 and the liberty that you have in Christ. You also always have to measure that liberty against. Am I loving my brother and sister in the Lord? Am I doing something that's offensive and causing them an issue of stumbling? So as much as there's pagan trappings to Christmas, there's also, once again, it all just folds in on itself that even the idea of saying happy holidays or Xmas that even a pagan culture tries to use, in the end, it's just pointing back to the exalted one, Jesus, right? You can try to hide, you can try to escape, but you really can't escape Jesus. So I love this idea um, for of the holidays being this time of a come and see, right? I mean, last week we looked at the why we looked at the star, we looked at the wise men as they came uh, to see the star. It was a come and see event. We, I mean, everything when you look at the Christmas season, it's a come and see event. Even the words that we're trying to use, it's a come and see event. Come, because Christmas is for the unfaithful. It's it's a come and see. Now, next is this: When was Jesus born? Aha! There's a great debate on this one. When was he born? Was he born December the 25th? This day, is is this the exact day? Well, there's several views. Um, man, I'm going to try not to get into the weeds on this one, but I can tell you're just excited about knowing this, right? Like, what was the real time? Let me lay out a couple different things, um, just so you kind of understand. Go over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Actually, almost this morning, I thought about singing for you the whole Greek alphabet. Um, when I took Greek, um, I learned the Greek alphabet through singing Yankee Doodle Dandy. All right, that's actually how you do it. Some of you actually, some of, Mindy, you, that's how you learned it, right? Okay. So I, I sung it, and then I heard myself, and then I said, I'm not going to do that. Is that the deal? Is that, is that the sorority thing? Is that they teach you through Yankee Doodle Dandy? Look at that. Oh, you have your own tune. Does it go to any famous hymn or anything like that or a famous song? No, you just have your own. Look at this. Maybe, maybe one day we're going to, we can have Greek, Greek alphabet songs. <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So was Jesus born on December the 25th? Well, it depends. depends. Um, let me give you some different views and maybe this will inspire you to do some more study. Um, but, but here's the interesting thing I, I would tell you in, in all this. He is the exalted one. It's once again a come and see kind of thing. I actually don't think it's important about what day he was born as much as what's really important is the fact that he actually was born, right? And when you look through Christian history, there's a lot of, I mean, there's, I mean, like the Puritans, they were not big on this actual, you know, Christmas day and not big on it, Right. But, but I say what we have to be big on. We have to be big on the fact that, the, that God came and took on human flesh. And that is a big announcement. Big enough that the shepherds came. 
big enough that the wise men came, big enough that Mary pondered this in her heart. So we, we don't have to get down with the actual birthday thing, if, if that's something that's a sensitive thing in your conscience, but we all must get down with the idea that God came and incarnated, took on human flesh, and that was a key pivotal thing for our redemption and we must celebrate that idea right now whether you do it whether what day or time or season of the year that that's that's to me just a matter of conscience but we must celebrate the fact in truth that god took on human flesh and came among us now if you want to do it on december the 25th great if you don't want to do it on that date great if you think that you figured out that it's actually more of a june or may great If you want to have Christmas in June or Christmas in July, great. Let me point out a couple things why people think um, different speculation about when he was born. First, I would say is the Jewish lunar calendar, right? The Jewish calendar, the way Jewish calendar works, it works by moon cycles, right? And the Jewish calendar has 12 uh, 12, uh, cycles. And then sometimes it has an extra month cycle every couple of years for leap years. Now, what's interesting is you look in Luke one twenty six, and let me just tell you, this is how some people come to their different dates. I'm going to try not to lose you in the weeds on this one, but maybe it'll just be something interesting to worship Christ during this season. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth. Now, y'all see verse 26 where it says, and in the sixth month. Does everybody see that? Okay, so this is the birth of Jesus being foretold in the sixth month. Now, if you're using the Jewish lunar calendar view, then what you're going to say is, oh, the sixth month is actually the August-September time frame. If you were to say, oh, in the Jewish calendar, the sixth, the lunar calendar, the sixth month would actually be August-September. So take nine months from August-September time frame, and, you know, the time that you have that Jesus was actually born would be the May or June time frame. So those that go, hey, actually, he wasn't born here. He's born more in the summertime, the May-June time frame. That's because they're using the Jewish lunar calendar, right? And using the sixth month, which would be the month of Elul, which would be August-September time frame, right? So now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, called Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Remember, this is the angel announcing to her, you are going to have the Christ child. Look at verse 28, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. For behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Bump down to verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy ch- the child shall be called the Son of God. So you, we, we see that, that the angel comes, makes the announcement, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow Mary. By the way, just a side note, rabbit trail, if y'all like rabbit trails. Um, notice it says overshadow, right? It was interesting. Jesus was born, had to be born of a human, so he was born of Mary. He went through the normal gestational period in time. But notice that the Holy Spirit overshadowed. Notice in all your translations, they English translations, they stick 
pretty close and keep calling it overshadow. If you've ever taken a look at the scriptures, have you noticed how many times the holiness of God was only entered into when there was some kind of cloud or shadow or covering, right? Remember Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He's like, you see my face, you'll die. God hides him in the cleft of the rock and covers him with his hand and he sees the backside, right, of Yahweh. Remember when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory of God is being shown, but then there is a cloud of smoke, right? The glory of God. Remember at the tabernacle, right? When the smoke would ascend and the tabernacle where the glory of God was, it was a covering. It was a way to shield the holiness of God was there. It was interesting is you see coverings. Now, I know this is just something I've been pondering lately, right? Just in my own soul. Mary was a righteous woman, but still you find that it says this in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace with God. Just a side note. We, this is like extra rabbit trail, you know, Merry Christmas. This thing I've been wondering. You can't get to the point of doing this Catholic worship and deification of Mary. That'd be wrong. You also can't go to this place of saying like Mary was inconsequential. There's a, a reason, a point why God had decided in his providence and sovereignty that this was the woman. It, it was, I mean, she obviously was one that had a unique makeup of loving the Lord. But I would say this, Mary had a sinful nature like the rest of us. And I know people are kind of like, hey, well, how did that happen? How did the Holy Spirit, how did that happen? I, like, I don't know. I just know that the word is called cover overshadow like we see several times and and what really and it really to me it's kind of this reminder that what's impossible with man is only possible with God so this had to be something supernatural while at the same time human that's why we say Jesus has two he has a human nature and a divine nature in one person and only something truly miraculous like the incarnation could have happened but I, I will say for me personally I think I'm not more amazed that Mary um, was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and had the Christ child, looking at the depravity of man and even Mary would fall into that category, I'm actually surprised when I look at the covering of God that he has to do for his glory in man's unredeemed state, not not to burn him up. I'm actually more surprised that Mary, being a sinner, could actually have something so holy gestate with her for nine months. I'm actually more surprised, once again, only by the overshadowing and covering of the Lord was something like that even allowed. Are you, is this making sense what I'm saying to you, right? I mean, like, these are just things I've been pondering, which, once again, just brings me to this idea that salvation is not of man's work, but is of God's work. How much is it? Even sinful man, which really has no right, God uses as his instrument of redemption, he uses Mary. Just amazed. Now let's go back. That was just a rabbit trail, right? Maybe that turned into an elephant trail. But we'll come back to it. So let's look at the date. So we have Mary, the sixth month. If you're using the Jewish lunar calendar, then what you would say is, aha, verse 26, that's the sixth month that the angel Gabriel came to her. And let's, that would have been in the Jewish world. That would have been August-September time frame, which then would put you at the May-June time frame for his birth. 
So that's where, why some would say, hey, there's no way that we need to actually worship Jesus during the season. Actually, it was more during the, the summertime, right? So that's one view. Another view is what's another view. So that's that one is using the Jewish lunar calendar. Another view was, is using what's called the Jewish civil or religious calendar, right? So you have that we find that uh, the, in the Jewish calendar, they have a lunar calendar, but they also have a civil religious calendar. And that civil religious calendar year actually starts in what's called the month of Tishri, which is actually September, October. That's also the time when Rosh Hashanah is happening, which Rosh Hashanah, you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, right? Where the high priest would go in, right? You also have the Feast of Booth during that time. Now, there would be some that would say, no, actually, verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee. There would be some that say, no, the sixth month, not the lunar calendar, but the civil religious Jewish calendar, which if you went by that, that would actually put the sixth month during the September, October time, right? And if uh, where, um, you know, that, that this would, you know, hold on, let me backtrack. They would say the sixth month from, um, hold on, guys. Can you tell how much I've been doing this calendar stuff, trying to hold it in? Okay, let me come back. If you're using the Jewish religious calendar, the sixth month would actually be um, in the March-April time period, right? The March-April time period, right? Which then... Now I'm looking at my notes. Hold on. Can you tell how much I confused myself when I was studying this? Yeah. Hold on here. Hold on. I got confused because I mentioned the same thing in two places but said it differently. That's why it confused me in my notes. Okay. So look at the six-month if this was the Jewish religious calendar, you're counting six months into the religious year, which in the September, October started the religious year for Jews. So then that would mean that if this is when the, the angel is coming, we're somewhere in the February, March time when Jesus was conceived, which then puts him at the November, December time frame of being born. So there will be some that would say, based off of the Jewish religious civil calendar, that Jesus was conceived in the sixth month of that calendar year. That would put Jesus six months later from the start of the religious year. That would put him somewhere in the March-February time, which would put his birth somewhere in the November-December time. So that's why some would say, no, actually he was born in the probably some time of this time of the year. Those who hold to a Jewish religious civil calendar saying the sixth month from the month of February, March. There'd be some that would say, no, the sixth month from the civil calendar, which would, which would have put, which would have put the sixth month would have been somewhere in the fall time period. Okay. Did I confuse you? Cause I think I confused myself in the midst of this. 
So it's plausible that Jesus, if you're going, here's the basic gist. It's plausible that Jesus was born in June or May. If you're going by the Jewish lunar calendar, it's plausible that he was born in November, December, if you're going by the Jewish um, religious civil calendar. There's also another view that, man, I am not going to get into because it's a hornet's nest. But I'll just, I'll just kind of tempt you a little bit. Look in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, this is one that's called the John the Baptist father view, right? And this John the Baptist father view, um, this would actually put Jesus' conception somewhere in the November-December range. It would actually put his birth somewhere during the fall feasts, right? This is the John the Baptist, Zechariah view. And the basic gist that you're going to see is there were 24 orders of priests that served. And you would be basically taking Zechariah, who is from the Abijah. uh, That's kind of the eighth order of priests. And his time of service would have actually been at a time frame that probably would have been sometime around the time of December. And thus that would be, um, I'm sorry, sometime around the summertime. And then that would be, therefore, a time that the conception could probably have happened, right? So if you look in chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. That's the eighth division of the twenty-four. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blameless in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. They'd had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were advanced in years. And now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his, what does it say? Division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So, Some would take this calendar and go, wait a minute. His service, this Abijah time, would have been around May, June, right? And so supposing he came home and then um, Elizabeth had conceived. And remember when when Mary is announced that she is with child, it's during the sixth month of Elizabeth actually being pregnant with John the Baptist. So that would put um, the... That would put, you know, John, that would put the sixth month would then move from that, from that time, would be somewhere in the December range. So that's the people that would say, well, Jesus was born in December because December would have been six months from when Zachariah and Elizabeth conceived. And John the Baptist was six months in Elizabeth's belly. And that's when the angel comes. And so Jesus was conceived into December time, was actually born during the August-September fall feast. That's called the Zechariah John the Baptist view, basically taking the order of when, a time frame of when actually the Abijah priestly time frame, the, the eighth division of priests would have actually been serving in the temple. Now, aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> so... Here's what you have, if I'm just trying to make it simple. And I can even tell, I confuse myself a little bit. I'm trying to explain this. The basic gist is you have three predominant views. You have one, the Jewish lunar calendar says, yeah, he was born sometime during the summer. The 
Jewish religious calendar says, yeah, he was born sometime in the November, December time frame. The John the Baptist, Zechariah division of priesthood view would say he was born sometime during the fall feasts. Now, which one of these is the right, true, and correct one? I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. But here's what I can tell you. It doesn't really matter the date. What really matters is that he did. And what really matters is, has, is Jesus, is, do we celebrate his actual coming into the world? Now, for me personally, I don't have any problem having an actual date that we celebrate. Although, I'll tell you, in Christian history, some have been really upset about doing such a thing. Thinking, man, celebrating the birthday of, a, of the Savior, that's really something that we should just not go to because it has so many pagan trappings. And I would say, there's something good about celebrating births, right? Like for me... I like celebrating birthdays because it reminds that, some, that someone's come into the world because people are image bearers. I like even celebrating the idea of, of someone's spiritual birthday for when they became a new person in Christ. I've even known many people, and we've even done this at times, where we celebrated, or we, we at least, for the two babies that we've lost, we've at times have written their name on balloons and launched them up and just we have them on our counter of when we think we lost our babies just that you know sometimes taking a day to mark an event right you look all through scripture and god seems to mark events he has key times and years of rhythms that he wanted israel to worship to point them back to the one true god so i would say this there's something in me that that can't really beat up on the day we worship jesus but i just think it's good that we have some day, some season, that we're kind of stop in the rhythm of life and we think about the incarnation of Christ. And I'll say this, why is that? Because once again, I think it's a come and see thing. I think Christ is exalted and I think there's no way to hide that kind of thing. And even though a pagan culture tries to co-opt it and use it for something different, you still can't get away of what the real truth is. Now I'm looking at my time and I don't think I'm going to get to the true one, but let me get to the last one, which is this. Christmas Day, December 25th. Whether that's the day or not, we just discovered. I just tried to give you the background of it. Is it really just a cover for a Roman pagan festival called Saturnalia, right? There's some who have said, and go over to Genesis chapter 10. I'll show you this. Genesis chapter 10. Isn't this really just a cover for Saturnalia, a Roman pagan festival and uh, feast? Is it basically, are we just basically selling Mardi Gras? Like, you know, the... This is like their version of Mardi, of Mardi Gras. Um, I would say, well, there's much disagreement on this, to be honest with you. There was a Roman festival called Saturnalia, and it was observed December the 17th through 23rd. And in Roman culture, yeah, it, was, it became a pretty naughty festival eventually. At first, from what I read, it, it, I mean, it was, it was pagan, but, but also it may, it may... Lead it may have its genesis and some of the sons of Noah. I'm going to come back to that here in a minute. All right, but Saturnalia did eventually descend. Like all things, there's something good that man has, and you give him long enough, and he'll descend into something really bad. By its by its fruition, Saturnalia was a very very scandalous. It was, uh, you know, became a very naughty um, kind of festival. It would be one where they would worship Saturn. The sun god you know they would worship saturn um and so on this holiday and it was bad and what we do find is this that christianity as it grows especially into the roman empire in the 300s that that christians started to worship 
on December the 25th, this idea of Jesus coming into the world. Now, it wasn't that it was unfounded. It wasn't unfounded that some thought he was actually born during that time. So I would say, some say, well, the only reason they put it on December the 25th is because Christians were just trying to take that naughty holiday of Saturnalia and make it more godly. And I'd say there may be some truth to that, but also when we look at the calendar system, some Christians actually used the Jewish religious calendar, and actually they would that would add up to Jesus being born in the December time frame. So there actually is um, some evidence to that. You have a you have a you have one uh, person, a guy by the name of Julius Julian Africanus, that writes in two twenty that Jesus was um, conceived on March the twenty fifth and was born on December the twenty fifth. So it's not that it's uncommon, but at the same time I couldn't say that there isn't some. There wasn't some desire for Christians, especially as the Roman Empire is becoming more Christian in the 300s. And Constantine says so much so that you can't beat them, join them, and declares Christianity no longer a persecuted religion, but now joins up with it, although I don't think his motives were pure, that we now could see that, well, maybe there is some, you know, is there some evidence that there could have been Christianity trying to take over Saturnalia so it comes up and says that, hey, this is when Jesus was born so we can try to phase out that naughty Saturnalia uh, kind of festival. Now I would say this, the historians disagree a lot on this. They really do. There's some evidence that would say Saturnalia, that pagan festival, really has no connection except by providence that it lands in the same time frame. Then some would say, no, it actually links up. It probably just depends on what historian that you read. But while I was at, um, now over um, Thanksgiving, we went to the um, Ark Encounter Ride and the Creation Museum. And they had one part in there and some books that you could read about kind of the genesis of Christmas. And they said a couple things I read I thought were very interesting I never caught. If you look in Genesis chapter 10, verse 5. Actually, we'll look at verse 1, we'll go through 5, and we'll be done after this. Now, these are the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, right? These are the three sons of Noah, right? The sons And sons were born to them after the flood. So this is all after the flood. Look in verse 2. And the sons of Japheth, which was interesting. And one of the books there I read that... They trace some of the etiology of Japheth, and that actually tracks to the word Jupiter, right? And if you know anything, that there there was the worship of Jupiter in this one resource. It actually said that it's plausible. By the way, that some of the worship festivals that they have in ancient times usually always track to something bigger, right? For instance... We have Thanksgiving. We didn't just make up Thanksgiving. It actually has a history behind it, right? Passover has a history behind it. Which I, I read in one um, book that it said it's possible that Japheth, who, um, whose grandsons, whose grandson J- Javan actually settled the area of Greece and that some of like Japheth or Javan some of, of actually, they lived a little bit longer and some of them being kind of great renowned men, that it's possible that some of these festivals and feasts and even some mythology might find its genesis in some of Noah's sons that, uh, grandsons that settled in the Greece area. And one of the things that's interesting, you keep reading, I'll, and I'll show you this. And the sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Midia, Javan, and Tebul, and 
and Meshach and Tiras. Look at verse 3. And the sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Rephath, Togarmah. Now, good baby names, right? Verse 4. And the sons of Javan, right? Now look, Javan is one of Japheth's sons, right? Which would have been Noah's grandson were Elisha, Tirshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. For these are the coastlands of the nations were separated into lands, everyone according to his tongue, according to their families, according to their nations. So we have two um, we have two of Japheth's sons in verse three and four being cataloged that they're settling the Mediterranean base they're settling the coastlands. And one of them we have is Javan. And what's interesting when you look up the word Saturn, right, the Roman god Saturn, the Greek equivalent of that word is Ketum, right? It's Ketum. Now look down. Notice in verse 4, And the sons of Javan were Elisha, Elisha, um, and Tirshish, and what does it say? Ketum. So there is a potentially some um, track that the worship of Saturn, Saturnalia, because the Greek equivalent of Saturn is Kittim. Even when you look at the Hebrew name, guess what the Hebrew name for Greek, for Greece is? Javan. Javan's the Hebrew name for Greece, right? So Javan's the Hebrew name for Greece. One of Javan's son is Ketim. Ketim is the Greek equivalent of the sun god Saturn. There's some evidence that some say, actually, although Saturnalia, by the time it develops and, you know, sinful man gets his hand on it through the years, actually becomes a really naughty kind of festival. There's some possibility that the genesis of the worship of Saturn Saturn actually happened from more of a, we have Noah's great grandson who was a great man who is part of settling this area of Greece and that maybe these are the sons of Javan. And so what's interesting I find this interesting, if that's true, and I'm not saying it's really true. I'm just saying this is just some of the stuff I read when I was kind of going through the museum. If that's true, once again, even pagan man can't escape that God is trying to exalt his message, exalt his way. Even you find that when God starts to spread man back on the earth after after the flood, that even what man tries to take as pagan actually might have actually had something really good to kind of honor somebody who was kind of setting the course for life. That even today, when we have Christmas time, could it have pagan trappings? It could, but it's possible that even what was pagan actually got co-opted by something that might have been there way ahead of time. Which, once again, me just trying to kind of talk you through this at this season... I'm just trying to bring you to the thought once again of this. No matter what pagan man tries to do to erase the incarnation, whether he's trying to say, or he's trying to take something and make it a pagan holiday, whether he's trying to take something and change the name of it, whether whatever he's trying to do, like nothing can actually happen because in Philippians 2, God is going to exalt the name of Jesus, right? And, and, and this is why I love this holiday season so much. Not for the pagan trappings, but because there's so much Jesus that still comes out in some of this holiday stuff. 
It's still a time to worship him. It's still a time to think about him. Oh, I think Christians have to be very guarded with Romans 14 and make sure that we're not purposefully trying to actually, um, what will we say, offend someone else who might be more sensitive about this. Like, I don't have time to talk about the Christmas tree, but I I would caution you about going in and telling someone that their Christmas tree is just a pagan Christmas tree from Jeremiah 10. There's actually more context to that. But at the same time, I wouldn't go around condemning anybody that actually has it. Um, For instance, uh, John Piper. I'd read one time where John Piper, his family, they had a conviction about the Christmas tree. And so instead of having a Christmas tree, they'd have a manger scene. And they'd put gifts underneath the manger. And that was something right and good for his family. But John Piper said this. But I would never accuse the the other things that other families would do. We always want to respect someone's conscience. But regardless of where you're at on this... I hope you, and this is just for me. You know, as Mary pondered all these things, I've been trying to say, Lord, let me ponder some of the things about not only saying Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and when you were born. And, and actually the idea of Christmas, is it really just that, is it really completely pagan? Have we just taken over a pagan holiday? I, I was brought to the idea of, once again, Christmas time is a great time to come and see the Savior. It's a great time for those of us who are unfaithful to once again be astounded at the faithful God. And, and, and even the fact that how could a holy God come and live among unholy men? How could someone like Mary, who is still a, has a sinful human nature, only God would have to overshadow and come and do something that, only, that, that man couldn't do. And still today I'm saved by something that only God can do. In a moment, we're going to do this. We're going to sing. Um, first, David's going to come and he's going to play on the cello um, Silent Night. And while he's doing that, we're going to pass out communion and have a time once again where we just think about the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the exalted one. And then we'll sing Silent Night and be and close our time as we once again have a time of just coming before Jesus. Would you stand with me and pray? Our worship team's going to come and make their way on stage. Would you join with me? Thank you for the holiness of this season. Thank you for giving us a time, a marked out time, however it has gotten to us, whether it was through a pagan festival or not, or something you've set up through Noah's grandson as a, as a, a great springboard reminder. I don't know, but I do know this. You came... And you lived and you died. And you were that perfect sacrifice to make us favorable before God. Let us take this communion, this Lord's Supper worthily. May we be reminded once again of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And may we once again, if there's someone here who has never called out to Christ, may they do this now before communion comes to them so they can take it with us and rejoice in the Savior that came. In Jesus' name, amen.